is not about the gadget or the toy or the technology. It's more about the insight that we get from some data that can help us make better decisions. And there's a lot of data that we can and do collect on dairy farms that just sits there. And if it's just sitting there, we're never going to get the value out of it. We have to be able to use that information for something useful. A whole new era of communication in the dairy industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global dairy industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Dairy Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like AB Vista, Feed Intelligence, and Targeted Ingredients to Optimize Rumen Function. Your partner for improving animal performance, Berg and Schmidt, Diamond V, because animal health deserves a healthier approach. Welcome to the Dairy Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global dairy industry. Your partner in improving animal performance, Berg and Schmidt. They provide high-quality, economical feed ingredients for ruminants, like their well-researched coated nutrients and fat powders that can support cows with additional available energy, which improves their overall health, productive performance, and your cost efficiency. Welcome back to the Dairy Podcast Show. My name is Barry Bradford from Michigan State University. Today, I am looking forward to chatting with Dr. Jeffrey Bewley. Dr. Bewley is originally from Rineville, Kentucky, where he grew up working on his grandfather's dairy farm. After completing his BS at the University of Kentucky, he earned a master's in dairy science at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where he focused on dairy modernization under the direction of Dr. Roger Palmer. His PhD work under Dr. Mike Schutz at Purdue University focused on the application and economics of precision dairy farming technologies. Then for nine and a half years, Jeffrey was on the faculty at the University of Kentucky as an extension dairy specialist. He's also worked with Ice Robotics, Performix Nutrition, Bobasync, and Alltech. So currently, Dr. Bewley is a dairy analytics and animation scientist with Holstein Association USA. So, Dr. Bewley, thank you so much for being with us here today. Thanks for having me, Dr. Bradford. Yeah, for those watching on video, and if you're not, I apologize, but you can see there's a really interesting piece of wall art hanging behind Dr. Bewley. Uh, Jeffrey, can you explain to us what's what's going on behind you there? Yes, the, the door that's behind me is the original door from the milking parlor that I grew up milking in. So a few years ago when they took that down, I was able to, to get that door and restore it, and it's been my favorite piece of decoration in my house. I, I really love that door. That is a great way to stay connected and stay a little grounded, I suppose. And there's, if it was a, if I did that with the doors on the farm I grew up on, I'm sure I'd be able to find lots of things like where I ran into it with a truck or something like that. So you're, you're probably less clumsy than I. That's super cool. All right. So, well, since you began your graduate work, you've had a pretty consistent theme around utilization of technology on dairy farms. What drew you to that in the first place? It's kind of funny what drew me to it. Economics drew me to it. When I was looking for a, my PhD topic, I went to look at the economics of something on a dairy farm. I've always been interested in the economics of decisions on farms. And I decided that 
the economics of an automated temperature monitoring system was what I was going to focus on. And um, I started working with that concept. And then my advisor said, let's actually work with a temperature monitor too and started working with a temperature monitor. Then I had an opportunity to spend six months in Scotland working with a company called Ice Robotics during my PhD, where I got to work with some of the first wearable technologies for dairy cows and also started working on the concept of automated body condition scoring during my PhD. That ended up becoming the focus of my dissertation was automated body condition scoring. And then the rest is history. I just have continued to follow that path, kind of partly in the right place at the right time. But I've always been interested in dairy data and how we can use data on dairy farms, even going back to when I was a preteen building spreadsheets for our dairy farm. So I've been a dairy data geek long before dairy analytics was anything that people talked about much. So the timing was right. And really, I consider myself quite lucky and fortunate that I've been able to work with so many different dairy technologies over the years. I counted up recently that I've worked with over 50 different types of dairy technologies in, in my career thus far. And um, not all of them have worked. Many of them have but it's been a, a great experience and, and gotten to meet a lot of wonderful people through that experience. I'm glad I'm not the only uh, super nerd 4-H uh, kid who put his he didn't take sheet on a spreadsheet when I was a you know, little kid. So <laughs> that's cool. Good way to learn some skills that you can take for the rest of your life, right? So um, can you tell me you've worked at 50 Technologies? That's fantastic. I Probably not many people in the world could say that on the dairy space. So I'm curious if you can tell me about one particular technology project that you worked on where the performance of the technology or the value proposition was, was much better than you anticipated. Going back, I think that one area where I probably underestimated a lot of the potential was with the wearable technologies for monitoring rumination and eating behavior. When that first came out, I thought that that was almost science fiction-like, that we could take a technology and attach it to a cow, to her neck or her ear, and be able to monitor rumination and eating behavior. But I've done validation studies that make me quite convinced that we are really measuring those things with these technologies. And the more important thing is that those technologies now are, are widely adopted around the industry with many dairy producers indicating how well they work for helping them identify sick cows. And to me, that's okay. That's not the newest, most exciting technology because those have been around for more than a decade now, but they're tested in the field. And that's, what's important to me is, is that it actually works on real dairy farms, not just in, in research operations. Of course, we need to be working on the next thing and, and helping bet out some of these other technologies and research and demonstration centers. But, um, it's a little different story working on a, in a couple hundred cow research facility where you have people dedicated to managing the technologies versus making the system work on a, on a 3,000 cow or a 10,000 cow dairy. And, and that's the neat thing about those rumination technologies. Um, they're, they're working on a lot of big dairies and, and that's really exciting to me that it's making a real difference. So I haven't done any, any, validation work or any careful like true research around that space but you know i've been on a lot of dairies or looked at data with dairy managers um from devices that use as i understand it the sound of regurgitation as the signal and others that use ear movements uh 
associated with rumination. And then now there's some that use sort of contraction movement uh, for like probes. And what's amazing to me is they, again, from my perspective, I'm curious what you think. They, they seem to kind of generate very similar data. They seem to kind of work, you know, give sort of the same responses. Is that your takeaway? Somewhat. The, the first technologies that came out were using acoustics to measure rumination. I, to my knowledge, there's not any left that are coming out selling that now, but some of those technologies still okay. happen. But they've all switched to using an activity-based approach. So basically, they use something called an accelerometer. An accelerometer is the same base technology that's in a Fitbit or the wearable technologies that, that we might use as people. It's also in your cell phone or your smartphone. If you change the orientation of your phone, it changes the orientation of the screen. That's an accelerometer measuring that also. And so uh, mainly for cost reasons, I think that most companies have moved to using an accelerometer because it's, it's a relatively inexpensive piece of technology and, and quite reliable. I do see a lot of these okay. systems that work really, really well. Um, I, I think that we have to be careful, though, and not assuming that just because one measures rumination well and eating well that they all measure it well and the reality is if you really valid validate this you'll find that there are differences of, across technologies and how accurate they are and they're not all measuring exactly the same thing um some of them measure a little differently uh for example we did one study where we had four different devices on the cows measuring rumination time and on average there was over 100 minutes a day difference and rumination okay. time. So they were measuring a different level. Maybe that's not so important because if they're picking up deviations in rumination within a cow, then that's still pretty useful. Uh, but I think we do have to be cautious in looking at that number and saying, I'm doing well with rumination because my cows average 500 minutes or, or 550 minutes or whatever. And it really depends on which technology you're using. I think they're great for comparing within farm or within cow, but we need to be really cautious in how we interpret that information across farms. Fair point. I like that. Okay. So right now, one of the major efforts you're leading is called the Smart Holstein Lab. Can you talk us through what that's all about, how that lab works? Sure. So a little bit more than a, a little bit more than a year and a half ago now, we launched what we call a Smart Holstein Lab. This is Holstein Associates 4A into dairy technology. And it's a collaboration with Western Kentucky University. We call it the, the KU Smart Holstein Lab, um, where we're exploring the utility of many different systems. We actually have over 30 different technologies now there in place at the Smart Holstein Lab. Some of them are monitoring technologies. Some of them are automation technologies. And some of them are, are just software systems to help us manage the data but we're looking at, at how these work on farm one of our goals is to be a demonstration center so that people can come and see a lot of technologies in one place and see how they work and how they compare one of our goals is to help um companies be a place where they can come fed out technologies and try things with us where we have a lot of technology experience so that they don't have to burden a, a real farmer with that um, that can burden us with some of those challenges instead and then another aspect is that we want to help educate dairy producers about 
what works and what doesn't work with technologies and help them make decisions about what technologies to invest in or, or to not invest in. So we aim to be and are a place where dairy producers can come and talk to us about our experiences with different technologies. And then in the long run, we're also very interested in exploring how these technologies can be used when they create data that provides us the phenotypic information that we can eventually bring into genetic evaluations and that we can use this information to um, come into the DHI system. So Holstein Association owns one of the very rapid processing centers, Agritech Analytics, and we're interested in seeing how we can use some of this data to, to look at DHI in a little bit different way than what we have before. That makes a lot of sense. I was kind of wondering like what the angle was for the Holstein Association to, to get in this space. And that may be, I mean, certainly just member support would make some sense, but I, I like this idea of bringing it back to the genetic side as well. In the end, member support is the core of what we're doing. We want to help our breeders understand technologies, but, but a big part of it is there's a lot of potential for these technologies and genetic evaluations. Just take, for example, um, with a heat detection technology, suddenly we have a lot more valuable data for things like days to first estrus or the intensity of a heat. And those are, are good indicators of fertility. So we may be able to use that information to develop better indicators of fertility for genetic evaluations. And there's actually been research that's been conducted that does show that those are heritable traits beyond our traditional fertility measures. Fascinating. Yeah, I, I guess it'd be really interesting to sit and think through all the possible traits that, you know, might actually lead us down the road towards progress. But like you said, a lot of the important outcomes like resilience to disease are very hard to collect genetic level data on. It is fun to think about. And there, there's dozens of things that I can think of very quickly for that. And, but in order for, for us to do a genetic evaluation, we have to have the phenotypic data. And that's where these technologies, I think, provide us some new opportunities. Um, do you see, I'm curious, so using the lab as a demonstration site, are, is this kind of, is that already live? Are there already producers coming to that site to, to play with different technologies or see it in action? Or how, how does that come about in the next few years? Yes, certainly we, we have dairy producers coming already. The last year has been focused largely on getting everything up and running, um, which during the post-COVID period has been a little bit of a challenge because of uh, production delays on different technologies and so forth, but we're just about the point where we have most of our first technologies working. And uh, so people come, producers or industry people come and, and look at that. There's also uh, an exposition center right there, so we welcome groups in to do uh, training. So if the company wants to come in and do one of their training events, then they can tour the dairy and then spend the rest of the day doing their, their self-meeting or whatever. We welcome that, welcome producer groups. Um, and we actually are having a, an event, kind of an open house here next month for that also. Okay, nice. We may have to try to get a link to something about that in the show notes here. That's great. So I, I know um, there's something else that's uh, come out recently that's pretty interesting. And I, I know you're a data guy. So I've definitely seen this undercurrent running through the livestock world the last 50 years where kind of a battle between data geeks, right? The quantitative people who uh, really are interested in support, all the computer work to generate PTAs and numbers that we can use to select animals versus 
maybe some people who have more trust in traditional evaluation methods like in the show ring, right? And it can get ugly sometimes. It's not always a <laughs> a friendly conversation about the most effective um, way to select animals. So sometimes the show ring people would uh, correctly point out that it's not always easy to put numbers behind every trait that matters. We were just talking about that, right? With technology, maybe that helps us. On the other hand, quantitative folks, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, just picking pretty cows doesn't mean those cows are going to be profitable. So in the next five minutes, can you just settle that dispute for good? Go. And the third thing can't settle it for good. And I think the debate in itself is good because it yeah, does okay. us as an industry decide where we should go. Um, and I also think I've thought about this topic a lot as, as breeders. It's okay if different people have different goals. And I think that's actually one of the, the neat things about dairy is that you, if you want a certain type of cow, we have the tools uh, genetically to select for the kind of cow that, that you want. If you want the, a cow that just milks a lot, you can focus on that. If you want a cow that, that is really healthy and fertile, then you can focus on that. If you want a cow that meets a certain goal in terms of what she looks like, then you can focus on that. Or if you want to balance among all those things, you can focus on that. And I think that's great. Everybody should pick the kind of cow that they want to work with. Um, everybody has different goals. And I think that there's always a balance and a, and a tug and, and pull in, in both directions. But some of that comes because a lot of people associate type or physical confirmation only with the show ring. And the reality is type and physical confirmation is a lot more than just the show ring. The show ring is, is an important part of our industry and fueled the passion for a lot of people in our industry. And, and there's a lot of neat things about it, but not everybody needs to, needs to or wants to aim for that. And so some people say, well, Pike doesn't matter because I'm not trying to breed a cow that ends up winning with World Dairy Expo. But the reality is that most of us do want animals that are functionally correct. And what I mean by that is we want an animal that has an udder that withstands the test of time. We want to have good feet and legs, and we want to have an animal that is structurally sound and looks enough like a dairy animal to produce milk. So that's what type is, is really about, is trying to, to breed that functionally correct animal. And we can go in various points along that continuum of of trying to aim for the 95-point cow or trying to aim for the 50-point cow. Um, the reality is probably somewhere in the middle for most people. So everything that we do in terms of what the animal looks like or what she does in her life is a combination of her genetics and environment. So the old genetics equation is P equals G plus E. Phenotype equals genetics plus environment. And the genetics is a very, very important part of that. But what we see in an animal is also extremely important. Now, in genetic evaluations, the geneticist will account for the effect of the environment to determine what piece of that animal's performance is directly related to her genetics. And so the genetic evaluations are an extremely important part of our progress as a breed or as an industry. And if you go back and you look before the genetic evaluations were conducted, our, our progress in no matter what area you look at is, is dramatic. Milk production, fertility, um, type, etc. So the genetic evaluations work. They they really are meaningful. 
But we wanted to, at Whole Scene Association, go back to this question about what does physical confirmation tell us about how that animal will perform. So we have a large data set where we were able to compare classification scores to DHI production metrics. So we looked at the first score and the first lactation for an animal, and we compared it to four primary output metrics. We looked at first lactation energy-corrected milk, lifetime energy-corrected milk, lifetime days in milk, and somatic cell count. And to be honest, I was surprised at the results. I came from a, a grade dairy farm. We didn't have registered cows. We didn't classify. We didn't show. So I was a little skeptical about what we would see. But the relationships that we saw in this study clearly demonstrate that animals that are more functionally correct melt more and last longer. To me, one of the most interesting things that we saw was looking at um, lifetime energy-corrected milk. We divided the animals into four quartiles with the same number of animals in each category. The animals that scored 82 to 89 points compared to the animals that Milk that scored 50 to 76 points. There was over 13,000 pounds difference in lifetime energy corrected milk. At a long-term milk price of $20 a hundred weight, that equates to almost $2,700 difference in lifetime gross revenue per cow. Those cows lasted 200, 142 more lifetime days in milk, so about a half a lactation longer. And also in their first lactation, they milked about 2,000 more pounds of energy-corrected milk. So they lasted longer and they produced more milk. Now, 82 to 89, that category is not necessarily show-level good. It's just functionally correct. So we're not saying that, that show-type animals are the, the fanciest cow. We're just saying functionally correct animals tend to perform better in their lifetime. Um, and you say, well, well, how many animals were in this data set? There were a million animals in this data set. So this was a very large data set. Uh, so these relationships are statistically very meaningful. Um, across 20 years, over 5,500 dairy herds in this study. It was also interesting. We were able to break down um, the relationships by different traits. And we looked at the individual traits that had the, the largest influence on the the metrics of interest, a lot of them were the udder traits. So rear udder height, rear udder width, udder depth, feet placement. Those had a big impact. Uh, some of the feet and leg traits like foot angle had quite an impact. And then traits related to dairy form or basically how dairy looking that animal is also had an impact because those are the animals that are really designed to, to melt more. And there's a lot of information. That's a very quick summary of, of what we saw. Um, if you're interested in looking at, at more, all the graphs and everything are, are on our website. And uh, you can go to holstein.com slash type matters and find that information. That's fascinating. I, I want to dig into that more. One one quick question I have, and I don't know if you had the data to, to actually look at this, but I'm curious if some of the type traits um, had different relationships for robotic milk turds versus conventional parlors. Did you look at that? That's a great question. 
I, I got that question last week. Actually, we have not looked at that, but that's on our radar as, as one of the next things we may look at. Um, it's it's definitely an interesting question, and I would anticipate some differences there between the systems. Okay, well, thanks for sharing about that. That's uh, I think a pretty important study and and one that'll help move us forward. So back to the sort of the technology focus, being that you're really focused on holistic dairy management, I would say, and then how newer technology fits into that. I'm curious if you see some area where a lot of dairy farms are missing low-hanging fruit. So if there's one piece of advice or one system that you would encourage basically every dairy farm to implement today, what would that be? Sure. I'll complicate that a little bit and say it. I have a priority order. And so to me, when we think about dairy data systems, number one is herd management software. Most of our larger dairies wouldn't think about working without that, but we do see a lot of smaller dairies still trying to manage without herd management software. So I think herd management software, dairy comp, PCDARD, Bovisync, DHI Plus, those are are really the first area we need to think about. Number two would be feed management software. Um, the Easy Feed, uh, Milk Crew, FeedWatch, those types of, syst- types of systems, those would be the second thing I think for most of us to look at. Feed is by far the number one cost on dairy operations and anything we can do to help control variation in that is a hugely beneficial. I think sometimes people skip number two. It's not as not as exciting to think about maybe as some of these other technologies, but it's really, really important. So that's my second piece of technology to invest in. And then the third piece would be uh, the wearables that are out there kind of categorizing them, lumping them together, but something to be able to monitor activity for heat detection and rumination eating behavior for uh, disease detection, metabolic disease detection. That, I think, is the, the first real technology that maybe people should think about investing in. And of course, it's also you know, robotic melting fits for some people, automation fits for some people. One of the things that I always encourage people to do when they think about technologies is to think about what need you're trying to fill on your farm. Where's the best, best bottleneck or biggest bottleneck on your operation that a technology might help with rather than should I buy technology A, B, or C? Think about it from the farm going backwards rather than from the technology to the farm. That's great advice. Yep. And thank you for bringing up feed management software. There we go. <laughs> it is amazing that some of the farms that I go on that uh, millions of dollars of feed inventory going through and there's almost no, no tracking uh, of inventory at all. All right. Uh, what about the flip side? So, you know, you help a lot of farms look at some of these things. Are there hidden traps that people should avoid? I mean, how do we prevent people from just wasting money on things that are not going to be that useful for them? First of all, making sure that, that you need it and, and that it's going to help solve a problem in your dairy operation. If I'm a farm that is effectively using ovulation synchronization programs and I have a great pregnancy rate, and that system works for me, then maybe I don't need a heat detection system because I'm already doing a nice job with my reproductive management. Uh, secondly, I think is to remember is not about the gadget or the toy or the technology. It's more about the insight that we get from some data that can help us make better decisions. And there's a lot of data that we can and do collect on dairy farms that just sits there. And if it's just sitting there, 
we're never going to get the value of, out of it. We have to be able to use that information for something useful. And unfortunately, I think there are systems out there that are on the market that are probably really cool, really interesting, really neat that we can measure that, but maybe it's not economical to invest in it because there's not actions that we can take that can make a difference in our operation. Thirdly, I think you've got to do your homework on the technology and make sure that it does work, make sure that it has been used in farms, talk to farms that have actually used the technology, um, and be aware of where that technology is in the development cycle. So there are a lot of technologies that are extremely mature right now, for example, that will, will work great and have been bedded out, and there's millions of devices out there. And then there's other technologies that you'll see that, that if you call them up and you purchase it, you might be the third person with that system or the eighth person with that system. And that have a different expectation if you're the third person or the eighth person with the system because it's not been vetted out. You're going to find out some problem that they didn't know that they had. That doesn't mean that it can't be useful. That doesn't mean it won't be interesting. And a lot of times those technologies are the more exciting ones because they're more novel and it's more cutting edge, but sometimes it's not just leading edge, it's bleeding edge. And you'll you'll have more headaches with those kinds of technologies sometimes. As long as you recognize going into it that that's the case, then that can be okay. But it's a very different story with these early stage technologies. I work with, and I have worked with a lot of early stage technologies. Unfortunately, many of them now sit in what I call the technology graveyard because they're no longer around. Um, but it's a whole different story and can be extremely frustrating. And that's why I think the things that like what we do and, and what other other places around the country do to help research these systems can be so beneficial because the help vets it out. We, we work with real cows too. Um, they break technologies. The internet doesn't always work, that sort of thing. Um, so that, that doesn't, that burden again, doesn't fall back on as many dairy producers that are relying on that maybe they invested in, thousands of dollars in something or hundreds of thousand dollars in some cases and only to find out that it didn't work and, and they never get the economic return. It's great advice. Yeah. I think, you know, some people are just tech nerds and they're drawn to some of these things, but you know, like you said, if you're honest with yourself about, am I doing this? Cause it's something I think is cool. Um, we should have different expectations than if you're really implementing this as part of your management scheme and it's a business decision, right? Good. I'm glad the facility, I'm glad the lab is there. That's a great idea. And I hope um, a lot of producers take advantage of it. It's time for our famous three. The Dairy Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like DSM, providing innovative feed additives that improve the efficiency and profitability of dairy production. ICC Animal Nutrition, adding value to nutrition. Xzealot by Protecta, a novel product for the management of hypoglycemia. It's uncomplicated excellence. Fibro Animal Health Corporation. Healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. ICC Animal Nutrition, a Brazilian company with 30 years of history and present in more than 70 different countries, providing natural, sustainable, and technological solutions for animal nutrition, health, and well-being in a safe and scientific way adding value in food production, and helping to feed the world. Okay, there's three questions that we bounce off every one of our guests at the end. 
So without further ado, what's your favorite dairy related book or resource? My favorite dairy related book is, is the book cow signals. Um, there's a cow root called cow signals out of the Netherlands that have done a really nice job in packaging a lot of materials related to just understanding basic husbandry and understanding how to look at cows and look at the facilities so that we can see how they respond to the management that they're under. And it's just very practical. It's very visual information. And I've found it to be extremely helpful in my career to understand the concepts of calcium. Good answer. I haven't heard that one yet. Yeah. Okay. What about your favorite book or resource outside of agriculture? My favorite book outside of agriculture is a book called Competing on Analytics. It really changed the way that I think about things. It came out probably about 15 years ago now. It's a business book that talks about how businesses use data as a source of competitive advantage. And as I read it, I thought, this is the dairy industry. The dairy industry is perfect for this area. And since then, we've seen that occur in many places. But it's a really nice book. If you like data, if you're a data geek at all, I encourage you to read competing on Amazon. Sounds like a more serious version of Moneyball. Sound about right? That's similar, yes. It does not focus only on the sport. Okay. Yes. I'll put that on my list. All right. And then lastly, in your opinion, what sets successful dairy professionals apart from those who are less successful? Well, I, I think a lot of it comes down to how much you care and how much you you want to do a good job of whatever you're doing. So what you're consulting, do you care about the people that you're working with? the passion that you have for what you're doing, um, and then the follow-through, being able to to help people where they where you can. For dairy producers themselves, I think it's attention to detail, desire to always be better, focusing on continuous improvement. Um, and the the best dairy producers always remember that the center of everything we do is, is the cow herself, and they understand the cow, they understand her needs, they understand her behavior and her, and her biology. And those are the ones that really do the best. Very good. Thank you so much. Again, I want to thank our guest, Dr. Jeffrey Bewley, for spending time with us today. Um, look forward to seeing how the, the Smart Lab develops and the ongoing work on connecting type traits with uh, productivity and health. So thank you so much for your contributions. Thank you, Dr. Bradford. And that wraps up another episode of the Dairy Podcast Show. Don't forget to subscribe so you can catch the next episode. Take care.